Time to talk some NFL draft and Chicago Bears with Matt Bowen from ESPN. We always give you something draft, something NFL every night at 8 o'clock. And Matt joins us here, ESPN NFL analyst right here on ESPN 1000. Matt, Jonathan Hood, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me on, Jonathan. How are you? I'm good. I just want to check in with you and your family. How's everything going at home with uh, this pandemic going on? Uh, Well, I think like everyone else, um, you work to stay safe, uh, you know, and take care of your family. Uh, We have four boys at home, um, you know, and working on our e-learning, it it helps me tremendously. My wife is a high school science teacher, so that's helped us tremendously at home with e-learning with the boys and, you know, just staying together as a family. I think that's the best thing you can do right now, and that's our plan. And with her being an educator, you stay out, of the, stay out of the way. Let the kids learn. That's that's what that's the most important thing to me. Trust <laughs> me. I look at some of this stuff. You know, I think I'm I'm, I'm very educated. But I look at this stuff and I say, "What are we doing here? What is this? I don't know what to do here." It becomes we get a little rusty when it comes to the education yeah. after a while. Right? I haven't been there looking at the textbooks so much, right? No, I have not. <laughs> now, Matt, tell me, who is the best player that you saw in college football last year? Uh, that's a great question. I think the best, I mean, obviously Joe Burrow is going to be in that discussion. When I mean, you look at Joe Burrow, the quarterback from the last year, and what he did and the schedule he played against. Okay, they opened up on the road at Texas. Okay, they win that game in the fourth quarter. They played Auburn. They played Florida. They played Texas A&M. They played Bama, Georgia, Clemson, Oklahoma. I mean, the schedule was unbelievable, and he proved in each and every one of those games. He has every trait you want right now at the quarterback position for the modern NFL. Now, does he have an elite arm talent? He doesn't. But, again, the games change so much. You're throwing more inside the numbers. Your verticals are fade routes. You're throwing deep inside breakers. You're working in the middle of the field. He's a prime fit for today's league. I think he's, there's no question he's the number one pick. But to answer your question, who's the best player outside of Burrow? I think there's a couple names. I think you look at Chase Young, the defensive end from Ohio State and what he put on film this year in the Big Ten Conference and how he can get to the quarterback, his athletic traits, his size, his speed off the ball. Another one is Isaiah Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is a linebacker from Clemson. You know, 6'4", 238, 4'3", 40, elite athleticism. I think he's a safety, Jonathan. I think he's a safety in the National Football League. I think you put him in a quarters-based defense where he can play downhill, cut crossers, play as a robber safety, and then on third down, and that's really where the league is going to right now. What can your safeties do on third down? Are they multi-positional defenders? What I mean by that, can they play in the post? Can they play quarters? Can they roll down in the box? Can they cover down on the slot? I'm not saying play true man-to-man coverage, but play more match coverage against the slot. And can they blitz off the edge? That's where a prospect like Isaiah Simmons immediately improves your defense and gives you a lot of options in the game plan. I know the Bears had to make some changes here in trying to get younger uh, as you need somebody on the other side of uh, Kyle Fuller that can pay dividends, get some kind of bolster that secondary. Uh, I saw Akuda, but I know he won't be there for the Bears by the time they start drafting. Anything from the corner or safety position that stands out that the Bears could take a look at that you saw in film? We're looking at the top of the second round then for Chicago. Obviously, Jeff Okuda from Ohio State is your number one corner. Man, coverage traits. I think C.J. Henderson from Florida is off the board by then. Trayvon Diggs from Alabama is probably off the board by then. And then you're looking at the next tier of defensive backs. I'll throw a couple names at you. Jalen Johnson from Utah. I really like Jalen Johnson. 
He's six foot one, two hundred plus pounds. He's got press coverage skills. He's very aggressive corner and off man coverage as well. He would fit well in the Bears defensive scheme, which is a lot of split safeties. Yes, they'll play single high, but really they're at their core split safety defense. I think he'd be good outside. Another one is Jeff Gladney from TCU. I don't know where Gladney's gonna fall, but I'll tell you right now, if I'm a defensive back coach, I want to coach this guy. I want to coach him. His competitive play style just jumps off the film, Jonathan. He is so competitive in press coverage and off-man coverage. He's aggressive. He goes after the football. Yes, that can get a young corner in trouble at times, but you have to know that as a coach, that I have this aggressive man corner. Sometimes he's going to take the bait. That's fine because the trade-off is I get the high-level competitive style with someone who can make plays in the football that is a willing tackler and can fit in my scheme and, again, fits modern NFL. You can be quarters base, like I talked about with the Bears, but eventually when it comes in third and two to six, you want to make a play, you got to get man coverage. Give me guys that can play man coverage. That's what I want right now. I look at the safeties, and the strong safeties I'm more familiar with, Matt, because we're just talking about uh, Winfield Jr. from Minnesota, who I saw, Delpit right. from, uh, from LSU, Jalen Elliott, saw a ton of him watching Notre Dame all season, uh, uh, Burgess from Utah. But then the other side with the free safeties, I only saw Jeremy Chin uh, play once with SIU, but mm-hmm. I haven't watched the film. But there's going to be a need for the safety spot as well for the Bears. Anybody stand out? Yeah, well, a couple of you mentioned, Anton Winfield Jr. Um, he plays with a sense of urgency. That's what you want. Someone who plays with a sense of urgency. Wants to get to the football. Get a ton of on-the-ball production this past year uh, up at the University of Minnesota. Made plays in the football, finished plays. Again, perfect fit for the Bears defense in that quarters-based system at the safety spot. Pair, pair him with Eddie Jackson. Okay? Um, he's five foot nine, but he's also 203 pounds. He's got enough size to play in the National Football League. I also think he immediately helps you on special teams. Grant Delpit might be there from LSU. If it's 2018 film on Grant Delpit, I think he's a top 20 pick. But his film, I I think, was inconsistent at times this year. Yes, he battled through an injury. That has to be discussed. But I didn't see the same sense of urgency, like I'm talking about with Winfield's film, on Grant Delpit's film this year. He could slide down. But again, multi-positional value, he gives you that as a sub-package defender. He can roll down. He can be physical in the box. He's got traits you want. Jeremy Chin is very interesting. Because he played at a lower level. He played at Southern Illinois. But I'll tell you what, you watch Jeremy Chin on film. He's six foot three, two twenty one. Mm. He runs in the four fours. Okay? He has the movement traits of a free safety in terms of his ability to come out of quarters and play over the top of number two and transition to the football. Very physical at the point of attack. Should be dominant on special teams in the National Football League. And also again on third downs, he could be your sub package linebacker. He has the size and the athleticism to get sideline to sideline. Matt Bowen, ESPN NFL analyst with Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Uh, we got to turn to um, the drama uh, with the quarterback spot with the Bears, uh, Matt, because mm-hmm. so Nick Foles comes over via trade. And it's kind of we have not spoken since this uh, deal taken, has taken place. So I want to get your right. reaction when you first saw it, because. You and I talked uh, shortly after the season about Trubisky, how he's got to improve, 10's got to get better, but now Foles is right there. How much can this enhance Trubisky or set him back, knowing that you got a proven veteran behind him? I think uh, from a coaching perspective, you believe this gets the best out of Mitchell Trubisky, that you're giving him real competition. Whenever training camp starts, we don't know when that's going to be, Jonathan, but whenever it does start, and this is an open competition, if I'm a coach, I can't wait to see how Trubisky responds. This is why you play. This is why you play. Okay? 
And as a player, you never want to be handed a job. That's just my, my perspective as a foreign player. You want to compete and earn that job. Well, this is it right now. This is it. And it's going to be a real competition because you're bringing in Nick Foles, who has experience in the same system and won a Super Bowl in the same system. He knows the terminology. He knows the playbook. He knows the reads as a quarterback. He knows where the coach wants you to go with the football. So this is going to be a true competition. And it'll be interesting to see, one, how training camp is structured, when we start training camp, when the season actually starts. Again, we don't know those things right now. But if you're a coach, this can be a positive for Richard Trubisky. Because you really, you want to see him go out there and win the job. I understand you brought in Nick Foles. But you want to see your quarterback who you drafted and you traded up to get go out there and win the job. Now let's see if he can do it. Because if he can't do it, well, now what do you have? You have a quarterback who can run your system, be efficient with the football, get the ball out quickly, and understand where to go with the football. Matt, I saw that the the Bears are able to get uh, Jimmy Graham, a veteran that has been there and done that. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how much he's got left. Hopefully there's something as a veteran that can provide a presence for this offense. But I still am steadfast in the belief that the Bears still have to look in the draft for one as well. you got a veteran in Graham. Okay, great. But you've got to look at Komet uh, from Notre Dame. you got to look at... Um, I mean, uh, Pickney uh, at Vanderbilt, maybe not, but uh, but yeah. Hopkins from Purdue. There's some guys there that the Bears should still look at. What would you see from the tight end spot on film? Well, they, I'll start with Graham first. Okay, I agree with you on Jimmy Graham. I think his play speed has, has dropped dramatically. Uh, you don't see the same athletic movements in his play speed, okay? And he's not going to give you much in the run game. You just have to be honest about that as a coach. You do not bring him here to block on the edge when you run an outside zone. Okay, that's going to negatively impact your offense. You brought him here to be a slot target. That's what I view Jimmy Graham at at this stage of his career. He's a guy who can still stretch the seams. Okay, but you're also going to have to scheme him open. You just got to be honest. You're going to have to scheme him open. He's not going to win a lot of one-on-ones for you unless it's a 50-50 catch that he can go up and make a play on. So you're going to have to scheme him open. All right? So off of that, if you're still going to look at the position, you mentioned Cole Komet from Notre Dame. He's also local, played at St. Viator High School. Uh, here in Chicago, Adam Trotman from Dayton is no Dayton is another one to look at. Again, guy played at a smaller school, had a ton of production, absolutely stands out in the film. And when you look at the lower levels and you have an NFL talent in the field, they should stand out in the film. It's like if you're a high school coach and you're playing against a Division One player, you should take over the football game. You got that a lot with Trotman. Hunter Bryant from Washington is somebody to look at. Harrison Bryant from Florida Atlantic. Yeah, Harrison Bryant is more of a receiving threat. That's what he is. And it really depends on what the Bears want. Because right now, that depth chart, you got a bunch of names on there, John. Mm-hmm. You're overloaded at the tight end position. So you have to find out what you want. Because Jimmy Graham is not going to be your guy at the point of attack in the run game. But you're paying him to play. So he has to be a, a target for you when you have two tight end personnel on the field. Or when you have what's called 11 personnel. One running back, one tight end, three wide receivers, and your passing sets can be on the field. But when you want to run the football... Who are going to be your guys at the point of attack? Because this offense has to start running the football. They have to start running the football, whether it's Trubisky or Nick Foles. They're not going to be efficient quarterbacks unless you can get something out of the run game, and that has to include the tight end position. Uh, looking at the quarterbacks that will be part of the NFL draft, I'm excited to see a lot of these guys. And the reason why is because when I'm investing all this time on Saturdays, Matt, and watching these guys, I, right. I know every one of these guys, including being, me being a Georgia guy watching Jake Fromm. Uh, I'm, right. I'm happy for Fromm, by the way, moving on to the next level because <laughs> as good as he was, I mean, Matt, his offense or the offense that was put in is just couldn't catch up to the SEC as far as the amount of production that you see. Fromm was really good as far as 
you know, handling the offense and, and dictating the pace of the offense, but he was never a guy that was going to put up 30, 40 points. He wasn't Tua. He wasn't Burrow. He's, uh, he wasn't that guy, but he's still going to be, I think, steady in the league. All right, and he's a guy that's going to come in as a number two, and I agree with you on Georgia. You can look at DeAndre Swift, the running back, and I think was underutilized at Georgia. Mm-hmm. who has traits that I think can really take off in the National Football League. I think he's the number one running back in this class because he has receiving traits. You can see that in how he moves and how that can transi- transition to a pro offense. A couple other guys, Jalen Hurts. I think Jalen Hurts is going to draft here higher than people expect. I really believe that. I think Jalen Hurts has intangibles you cannot teach in terms of his leadership skills, his toughness, his ability to command a room and run an offense. And then after Burrow, where does Tua go? Justin Herbert from Oregon. Jordan Love from Utah State is very interesting to me, Jonathan, because he has all the traits at the position. Okay, he has the movement skills. He has the arm talent. He can make second reaction plays and get outside the pocket and do things for it. But his tape is so inconsistent. I told someone the other day, if you look at all his 15-plus yard throws and put them together in a clip, he looks like a star. Then you go watch full games, watch him versus LSU, Boise State, BYU, against better competition. And the play is really up and down. So I think he has to go to a program that has a very strong coaching staff that can coach and mold those traits to fit the professional game. And he's not ready to play just yet. I think he has to wait and develop as a professional quarterback. But he has the traits. And we know that sells during the draft. Justin Herbert is a perfect example. Justin Herbert is six foot six, two thirty. He runs at the four six range. He's got the arm talent. But he's more of a see-it-throw guy, Jonathan. What I mean is he wants guys to get open. He wants to see the numbers on the jersey. Mm-hmm. That's great. In the Pac-12, you can do that. You can't do that against the Packers. You can't do that against the Patriots. You can't do that against the Chiefs. you got to fit the ball in the tight windows. So again, he has the traits. He has the talent you want. He has the size you want in a professional offense. But when is he ready to play? There's, there's areas of his game. Tua is a little different. Tua is a very twitchy thrower. The ball comes out with speed. Played in the pro passing Offense. What I mean by that, the Alabama route tree. There's a lot of run pass options in it, a lot of play action. If you look at the overall route tree, it fits the pro game. That's why Jerry Judy, I think, is the number one wide receiver. Now, the, the concerns with Tua are obviously the injuries. There, that has to be discussed with Tua. But where does he fall? Does he go number five to Miami? Does he go number six to L.A.? Does someone trade up to get him? He's going to be in that mix as well. Matt Bowen, ESPN NFL analyst with Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand-new ESPN Chicago app. I love the wide receivers that's going to be out there. I've, uh, a lot of those guys at the top, it's top-heavy with mm-hmm. Judy, Ruggs, Lamb, uh, uh, T. Higgins from Clemson, um, Jefferson from LSU, who was terrific, uh, yeah. Pittman Jr. from USC. I, I like a lot of these guys. So when it's not hyperbole when someone asks me, like, if it's a wide receiver spot, is it is it a plethora of quality? Yeah, I think so. I think all these guys are difference makers. They, they could be difference makers depending on the team that they're on. I agree, and the Bears could be a player there at, in the second round. Don't be surprised if the Bears draft a wide receiver. I, I, I would not be surprised at all. If they draft someone that fits their offense, someone that can catch the ball and go immediately. Uh, the, considering how much RPO is I expecting to throw with your Trubisky or Foles, the play action, the quick game, the middle of the field stuff, you want someone to catch the ball and go immediately. Someone with production after the catch that translates to the NFL. Now, I'm glad you brought up Michael Pittman. I, I really like Michael Pittman. Mm-hmm. I do. I think he's going to rise in this, in this draft. I think he's going to go higher than people think. He looks like a pro. He's 6'4", 223, ran a 4'5", 240. 
He fights for the football. Good on inside breaking routes. Plays. His, his play style just shows you the toughness he has the position. And I mentioned Judy already. I mean, Judy gets open, John. That's the thing. At the end of the day, in, in this league, can you get open? That's all that matters. Mm-hmm. I, I, like, I love the traits, too. I, you know, that's part of my job, to write about the traits and talk about the traits. You look at someone like C.D. Lamb, who is unbelievable after the catch, can go up and get the football. I still look at Jerry Judy and say, well, he can get open. He can separate from coverage. And considering how much man coverage we're seeing right now in the NFL, and I think it's going to get higher and higher every year because people are playing more man coverage to take away quick throws and RPOs and play action. So that's what you're going against. I need someone that can get open and separate and be sudden in the movements, have the stop-start ability after the catch, the slip past tacklers in the secondary. To me, that's Jerry Judy. Lastly, Matt, I appreciate your time. You mentioned earlier Jalen Hurts, the quarterback from Oklahoma, came from Alabama and mm-hmm. was Oklahoma. So uh, is it because of what we see with Kyler Murray or even Russell Wilson in which evaluators look at the quarterback and not, are not concerned with size anymore? Because when you see Hurts, I love his leadership ability. That guy, was he, when he spoke, he sounded like Saban. He was just concerned about the mm-hmm. next game, didn't care. You love that leadership, and you saw the quality from what he brought to the table for the Sooners. But when did it change where evaluators are not concerned so much with size versus just the ability and arm strength? Well, I think it changed a couple of years ago when Cleveland took Baker Mayfield number one. You know, mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield is six foot even. That's what he is. You know, Tua. Tua is six foot even. Okay, I think people are looking more at how the game has changed. I think, one... You have to have second reaction ability. Okay, what I mean by that, Jonathan, is you have to be able to move when things fall apart. Is it going to fall apart? I think offensive line play is down in the National Football League. I think it's going to stay down. And you have to have guys that when your first read is taken away, what are you going to do? Can you move? Can you move within the pocket? Can you move outside the pocket? We're seeing much more movement-based passing concepts. Play action boot. Get the quarterback on the move. Let him throw on the run. You have to have those traits as well. I think the game has changed to where it used to be you wanted a quarterback who was six foot four, two thirty, could stay in the pocket and sling it. Now, does that win football games? Sure, it does. If you have a guy who can dice people up from the pocket, you can win a lot of football games. But considering how the game has changed and how there's much more quick game and RPO passing coming from the college level, I think these quarterbacks are more pro ready most of the time. They're more pro ready, and coaches in the NFL are finally adapting to their schemes. That's what coaching is about, Jonathan. If I draft a quarterback who threw a lot of RPOs, well, that's the first thing going in the playbook. I'm sitting down with that quarterback and saying, give me your five favorite passing concepts from college. Those are going in our playbook, too. I want the quarterback to be comfortable, and I want to cater my playbook to fit his specific traits, and specifically the movement traits these quarterbacks now have. I think that's why you're seeing quarterbacks who are not six foot five, 230, being drafted very highly. And two is going to be the next example of that. Jalen Hurts as well this year. We're 14 days away from the NFL draft, and uh, as always, man, I'm glad you came on and gave your perspective. It's uh, very interesting to see how the draft show takes place and who's going to be selected. It's going to be a lot of fun. I appreciate that, Jonathan. Thank you again for having me on. It is a Matt Bowen ESPN NFL analyst with me, Jonathan Hood. You're listening to ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. Stream ESPN 1000 easily on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. You're listening to Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. You know, timing is everything when it comes to what we are seeing on a daily basis on our social media or our television regarding COVID-19 and the pandemic that we're dealing with in our world. Sometimes you have to understand timing. You have to understand, before I push send, should I put this out here for the world? 
And there's a such thing as being tone deaf. It's a such thing as just not having the right timing. And so there's a couple of NFL players that just don't understand the word timing. Former L.A. Rams players Todd Gurley and Clay Matthews have tweeted that the team is behind on delivering paychecks. At the Rams NFL past due, send me my money as soon as possible, according to Todd Gurley, who wrote in a tweet yesterday. Matthews retweeted Gurley, adding, you and me both, TG, better get some interest with that too. The Rams released Gurley and Matthews on May on uh, March 19th. Gurley signed a one-year, $5.5 million deal with the Atlanta Falcons. The Rams believe that they are in full compliance with the league in the players' contracts, according to ESPN. Gurley, less than two years after it was signed to a four-year, $60 million extension that included $45 million in guarantees, the Rams designated his release as post-June 1st, which allows him to uh, spread the dead cap money of $11.575 million over the next two seasons. So even if that is the case, that you have an issue with not getting paid or you haven't gotten a check in a while, don't you have your agent do that? Don't you have your agent call the team? Don't you maybe call yourself to find out if the check is coming? I mean, are you putting pressure on the Rams? Are you trying to embarrass the Rams by saying that you're not getting paid? And same thing with a veteran. Both guys are veterans, but like Matthews has been in the league for a long time. And so he thinks that's the best way of handling business, going out there publicly saying, hey, my checks are not on time. Well, you know, there's some people in this country that checks aren't happening at all or their checks are not coming in on time. Just understand that around your mansion, around your swimming pool and the means that you have is you have generational wealth, your money will come. But understand, like, there's a lot of people that watch you for a living, that's having a hard time right now financially, uh, and had a hard time even before COVID-19. Nonetheless, the point is that you have to understand the gravity of the situation right now on April 9th. The idea that you're just going to tweet that out saying, hey, you know, I need my money because God forbid that you missed a, a day or two from getting your $45 million in guarantees, Todd Gurley. I'm a Georgia guy saying that to Todd Gurley. And Gurley was great for the college I wrote for, root for for college football. But, I mean, you signed sign a, a four-year, $60 million extension, $45 million guarantees. You'll get your money. But to, should you put that on social media? I, I just, maybe it's just me being a Gen Xer and being from a different generation. I'm just used to handling business face-to-face or to be able to communicate in a different way than just to put my business out there. See, Eric, your generation is more, you know, put your feelings out there and let everyone know what you're doing at all, all, all times. But I don't believe in business that you go out and tweet at the team saying, where's my money during a pandemic? I just, what are they planning to accomplish? Do you think that the Rams are sitting there and be like, oh shoot, we forgot to write their, like, they know, like, odds are their payroll is not coming into the office to work right now. So... It's just a horrible look and horrible timing, like you said. No matter if they want to be open and engaging on Twitter, there's things like this, like business, especially in this time where it's just it's just senseless. Just like, what's the point? Like, do business like a businessman, not like a a 17 year old uh, boy going on Twitter saying, "I ain't got my money." That also is a bad look for you. You've been the, both those guys have been in the league, especially Matthews, for a long time. You need money now. <laughs> what about the money you've been making? 
Uh, think about saving it for a rainy day, maybe putting your cash in uh, a Crown Royal bag or something. I mean, are you hard up for it now at this point in time? I mean, many people that don't have generational wealth are hurting. Even millionaires probably are hurting in some in some respects, but not to the idea that you're going to tweet it out and go after somebody or go after a team. By the way, we got a shout out. Have you seen this, Eric? Have you read about this? Have you seen this? Our guy, David Schoenfield from ESPN.com wrote a piece today. And of course, when we talk national uh, baseball, Cubs and Sox, as a matter of fact, we talked to David Schoenfield, who's always been great with us over the years, the most hyped prospect ever for all 30 major league baseball teams. This is a topic, man. This is a topic. You know what? Put that on the day timer. Put that in your phone for a while, Eric. We're gonna. This will come back on one of these nights here that we don't have baseball. This is a good one. It's fun to, to banter about. The most hyped prospect ever for all 30 Major League Baseball teams. And if you go to the White Sox section, it's funny. We just had Schoenfield on last week, and he was saying he's writing his column. And he asked me, he's like, eh, you know, who's the guy for the White Sox would be like the most you know, overhyped? And I just brought up Joe Borchard. Which, and, but without you look at the numbers and, and the dates, because I have to really research this, Eric, one of the most outstanding home runs ever hit at New Comiskey slash Guaranteed Rate Field was hit by Joe Borchard. It was a day game, and I have to go back and look at the very few home runs he hit, but there was a home run that he hit that when I was sitting in the right field bleachers that went over the bleachers and hit the back wall, you know, by those hot dog stands. The Charles stands back there in the outfield. Yeah, that's a a bomb. Hit the back wall. Jeez, (laughs) like so. So you know that's a jaunt, right? That's that's pretty. That's pretty strong. So that's my number one memory of Joe Borchard. And of course, he was so overloved, but he had good numbers at Double A in two thousand one, two ninety five average with twenty seven home runs, and then two seventy two with twenty home runs at Triple A. But he was just one of those we we call in baseball a. a 4A player, right? Good enough to be in the majors, not good enough to uh, perform in the majors. Like you're good enough, you, you're you're better than AAA, but not a good good enough to be in the big leagues. That's the that's the uh, connotation I make. So, um, so nice shout out there by uh, Field on the White Sox. He he says I said Joe Borchard. He agrees. He also considered Robert Ventura, Frank Thomas, Alex Fernandez, Juan Moncada, Eloy Jimenez, and Luis Robert. Ah, uh, those other guys can play. So I don't know what he means by that. <laughs> so like all those other guys that are true. Like Robert is going to be special from whatever, every indication. Jimenez is uh, a solid player from the first year. Moncada, we want to see even more from him. But Alex Fernandez was good. Frank was outstanding, Hall of Famer, and, and Robin Ventura. So I thought that was interesting. Interesting list there. And for the Cubs, it's pretty obvious, right? It would have to be Mark Pryor. Mark Pryor is around the top of the list here for, on the National League side. Um, scrolling, scrolling. Let me see. Oh, they also consider Sean Dunstan, Kerry Wood, Corey Patterson, and Chris Bryant. KB on that list, huh? Interesting. Mm, yeah. Well, you know, there's some people that don't believe. Like, like we saw the best of, of Chris Bryant and think that, that this is it. Like, he's not going to be able to be this perennial all-star or this face of a team. Right. I I guess it's because he won't be an MVP again, maybe. That's why. 
Maybe. I, exactly. Maybe. I, he was there. I don't think he should be on that list. Just because of what he accomplished, even if it's what he will accomplish, is already done. Mark Pryor is the answer to that question. Yep. Him and his Cavs were, were the thing. <laughs> I didn't no know he doubt. Played. I didn't know he played for the Cavs. Um, <laughs> and so, I mean, then Kerry Wood is on here. Well, I tell you, that's a that's a barroom fight right there. You you can't speak bad about Kerry Wood in this town. I don't know if he was overloved. Uh, just longevity. He was great. He's almost flash in the pan type guy. Most high prospect of all thirty teams, Kerry Wood. Uh, well, it was Wood and Pryor. I guess it was like it was both of those. It guys. was. It was that tandem carried the hype. Sean Dunstan. I'm trying to remember. Uh, not over. Um, people thought Dunstan would be a solid infielder. He had a strong arm at shortstop. He can't believe that Mark Ray still has a left hand. Yeah. He would just throw it out 200 miles an hour. I've never seen a shortstop throw that hard from that position. That's why they put him in the outfield when he's with the Giants. They're like, okay, our, our first baseman can't handle this. You got to go to the outfield. You got, you got a strong enough arm like that, do it from left field. So they put him out there uh, when he's with uh, San Francisco. Corey Patterson, that could be too. I like Corey Patterson. Yeah, he was a flame out. He was a big name. I he was really popular. Shouts out to Corey Patterson. There was a time, and again, Eric, you you have to be the one to research this. There was a time where the Cubs lost something like ten or twelve games in a row. They're on the road, and a reporter asked, "Do you want to come on the Jonathan Hood show?" And and Corey's like, "Yeah." And the Cubs had lost like. I want to say like 10, 11, or 12 games in a row, and Corey's like, hello? And I'm like, whoa. He actually wants to come on. Wow. And he gave like, you know, seven-second answers, but he was quick with it, willing to come on. And I'm, I'll give him credit for that. Like, he didn't have to. Like, I expect to hear from anybody during that time. No, that's a hard time to talk, so good for him. But I guess failure was what he was used to in his overhyped <laughs> career. You're just terrible. <laughs> You're terrible. I liked him. I had hopes for him. I did. <laughs> <laughs> he was used to to failure, so why not come on? Yeah, exactly. You're awful. That's <laughs> a terrible human being. You, you've been hanging around me way too long. Uh, Tales from the Hood is coming up next. This is Under the Hood. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. What do you got there? This is your car. My car? I said a 10-second car, not a 10-minute car. Pop the hood. Pop the hood? Pop the hood. Tales from the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Here we go. Time for Tales from the Hood right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. It is time for Tales from the Hood, stories of sports, entertainment, and everything else in between. We've always had some special themes as of late, Eric, for Tales from the Hood, because if we were going through stories, it'd be hard to find non-COVID-19 stories, right? Exactly. That is all that's out there, are COVID numbers and graphs, and we, we don't want to talk about that. No. No, not in abundance. No, that's not, our, not, not, not daily. That's not what we're here for. <laughs> no, nope. that's not, no, we are thinking of you, of course, during this very difficult time, but we're supposed to be a, a distraction to all that. That's why we have topics like this one. It's on the Facebook wall, facebook.com, Jonathan Hood. For Tales tonight, we asked a question. 
And you can call in, by the way, if you care to, 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is our phone number. What is your biggest sports pet peeve that you aren't seeing right now because of shelter in place? So what is your, your biggest sports pet peeve that you're missing right now? So I'm looking on the uh, on the board here. I think do we have a few on Twitter. I know we have very few on Twitter, but definitely a long list on Facebook. Um, so uh, the biggest sports pet peeve, according to Tim Scanlon, is quote the unwritten rules of baseball BS. So, I feel that. I totally agree. That <laughs> whole like Brian McCann type people driving nuts. You know what? This is this is going to go away. Um, in your generation, after my generation is long gone from the game, and like your generation, and then a generation and like um, Tyler's generation, that'll be it. We'll be done with this old school nonsense. I agree. I, I think that it's it's the younger players don't care enough to where they're going to throw the ball at someone's head because someone just beat them. <sighs> Show me up. That like I don't know. I think my generation has kind of always trash talked each other. Yeah. So we're used to it. But but it, this new generation is going to be so nerdy and so in the same metrics. They don't, they, the players won't have time for the unwritten rules of baseball. Right, they'll of, be doing algorithms in their head instead. The, the the unwritten rule of baseball. I'll give you one that is ridiculous. And I love Bob Brenly. We get along well. But the Bob Brenly rule of if there is a no hitter in place and it's the ninth inning, you don't bunt down the third or first baseline to try to get a base hit. You just do it like a man. Swing away. To get a base hit, and it's like, what does that mean? Right. I guess what uh, in some context, if you're losing ten nothing, what the hell does a bunt do you? But if it's a, a two run ball game, play to win the game. I get that. Yeah. So just to break. Well, you don't want to get no hit either. You don't want to get it. Right. Your yeah, I, that's fair. You don't want to go yeah. down in history, and that's fine with me too. If you if you want to make sure your your third baseman's got to make a play. Like Bob that's and I how it don't. Goes. Bob and I don't get along on that. Um, <laughs> Joel O'Brien says flopping of any kind. All right. Yeah. Talking about soccer or basketball. I'm, I'm in on all that. Absolutely. Especially the ones where you see the guy doesn't even touch him, and then he flails backwards. That one, absolutely. Basketball got it from soccer. Oh yeah, ba- soccer. <laughs> soccer's writhing in pain, rolling on the ground. Soccer is ridiculous, and then basketball we just see more often. Daniel Ramirez says a, a pitcher is cruising along and a manager just has to go to the pen to play a matchup in the late innings. Madden used to do it and drove me bananas. Or a hockey game will uh, get a lead and then pull back. Uh, so he's pretty much talking about the pet peeve, especially on the baseball side of the matchup. Well, in the new baseball rules, Eric, you're not going to get that as much anymore of matching lefty against lefty, righty against righty. So that's, uh, that's going to be gone pretty soon here. Yeah, with the three batter minimum going in, I think baseball has agreed that people can't stand watching guy throws two pitches, gets his out off. Like, I believe they're sick of the commercial break, so baseball has made a change for that. Bill O'Connor, the continued growth in team TV networks that force fans to pay from your couch. That's a shot at the marquee network right there. That's just media now. Like then, then don't have Netflix or Hulu and Prime and Disney Plus, all that. That's just the way of the world now. Yeah, I mean, sorry. I mean, as much as it'd be cool for the Cubs to be on nine, it just, right. it's just not there anymore. Or the Sox on Channel Forty Four back in the day, it's just not happening. Douglas White says batting glove gymnastics after every pitch. He's looking at you, Paul Canerco. No, Mar Garcia Para. <laughs> yep. 
It's funny. As a kid, we all would like mock and do the Garcia Parra, like playing around. But now as a fan, I can't stand watching it. You didn't even swing the bat. You watched the ball bounce on the dirt. You step out, and now you're readjusting everything. Yeah, that's a that's a mental issue. It, it doesn't mean that your your gloves are looser because of that one pitch. Baseball players a, are so superstitious. Yes, so yes. superstitious. <laughs> Dan Persak. Now Dan's behind the times here. When's the last time you heard me say score the basketball on the show? Not. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm not sure I hear that very often. Like, I, have you heard me say that? You, you hear me? You know, I talk a lot of basketball. I don't talk. I, he says when people say score the basketball, like I don't. I haven't heard that in years. I think that's passe. Fair. I mean, I, I haven't heard that in a while, but I agree that it's a dumb, dumb thing for play-by-play guys to say. Hey, Sean Lucas. <laughs> Sean Lucas says an offensive timeout on fourth and one. Well, I don't get that one. What if it's not the lot like, I don't know, what if it's not the matchup you wanted or, or the gap you wanted to run to is, is flooded? Who knows? Uh, know yeah, you look at the defense, you got to call a timeout and right. fourth and one. You know, is it, it just, it, you just can't say no matter the defense, what if it's a goal line defense and you're just trying to get a run in? Okay, well, you don't want to go against that. Maybe you want to throw a quick uh, out to the right. You can right. tell I've been watch, I've been playing a lot of Madden. There's no right. way he he trusts Trubisky to make that check at the line. So call timeout. Like <laughs> Gabe Garcia, umpire is not calling the strike zone by the rule book. That's perfect. I think I wrote down on my list. I wrote Angel Hernandez strike zone. So just <laughs> the straight up inconsistency from batter to batter, inning to inning, pitch to pitch, is infuriating. Especially now. That every broadcast, we have a strike zone box. And we're just watching them miss. Ryan says, uh, complain to the officials when they clearly got it right. When does that happen? All the time in sports. I mean, when do they get it right? (laughs) Fair enough, right? (laughs) And if you're an athlete, they never get it right in your head. I get that as a competitive person. I get that. Robert Soto says, "Call uh, college coaches calling timeouts because their bum-ass guards can't break a press. Let them figure it out. College basketball is overcoached. No, college basketball is overcoached. There's no it question is. about That's that. That's funny, though. I just like the whole statement. They're bum-ass point guy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, Kenyon says, Jersey's adding more corporate ads on them every year. Well, that's, again... That's the way of the world, pal. Yeah, that doesn't bother me. I um, What does bother me, and this is a personal thing, it's a way of the world, is I can't stand that I don't know the name of stadiums anymore. They're changing sponsors every other year, and I have no idea any of this. I've given up trying to memorize what the stadiums are. Do, do the Rockies still play in Coors Light Stadium? I don't know. Let me check. <laughs> yes, I'm sick of that. Okay. Uh, Denver... Baseball. You know, I should ask Siri. Why am I looking at <laughs> Hey, Siri, where do the Colorado Rockies play? The Rockies play home games at Coors Field. All right. Still, still Coors, Coors Field. And she's still Australian, by the way. Yes, always. <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to know from Siri? Anything else? Oh, I mean, there's a world of things I'd like to know, but... What, what do you like? Okay. Not now. Hey, Siri, tell me a joke. What did the virtual assistant say to the human... Stay in as much as you can and wash your hands for at least 20 seconds. Just wanted to say that. I'll tell you real jokes from now on. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What the hell? (laughs) How awful is that? (laughs) 
I didn't ask no, you for a you COVID-19 You asked for one thing, box. but here's something else. <laughs> see? Oh. Smart-ass Australian. Does this, see? She, she doesn't give me what I want. I just asked you to tell me a joke. <laughs> what is what was that? Mirror Lightfoot behind that? Right. <laughs> yeah, where's the meme for Lightfoot right there? Seriously. That was the talking meme. And that is Tales from the Hood right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Coming up next, do you know who Doc Antle is? Doc Antle speaks next. It's under the hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports, ESPN 1000. Doc Antle. You know, my producer here, Eric Ostrowski, told me, he says, by the way, Eric Ostrowski, I've never worked with two Joneses before. I've never worked with two Williams before, but I've worked with two Ostrowskis in my radio career. I don't know how that happened. I know, not, not related that we know of either. I think you guys need to be able to take a test here. We need to do the 23andMe or something and figure this out. I think, you and, I think you and Joe, and, and I think you and Joe probably are related. You just don't know it. I bet <laughs> you somewhere down the line, right? I can <laughs> so, see it. I can see it. So crazy. Um, but anyway, so Joe, Joe uh, or Eric in this case, Eric told me, says, you know, we needed to watch Tiger King. Tiger King is the number one show still on Netflix. And I said, okay, I'll watch it. And last week I was able to watch it, and it was um, it was quite the show. It was quite the show. I actually got into it because it was just so bizarre in the Netflix way, and it's just uh, don't F with cats on steroids. It, it was just amazing. So one of the characters in Tiger King is Doc Antle. Now, we talked about Doc Antle a little bit, Eric, in that, you know, Doc Antle's got this, these bright eyes, and he's got, he looks like he's married to three or four different women. I don't know how that's legal, um, but he seems like he's in a relationship with a number of women on this show, and he still has his zoo or his um, containment of animals. He's got it together. He seems like he was a, maybe one of the less controversial guys on that documentary. Right. Other than like the polygamy and, and maybe entrapping 17 year old girls, he came off squeaky clean. He really did. And that, that's to explain how messed up this whole documentary is. That's right. He actually seemed normal compared to everybody else in there. Um, so Doc Antle apparently has been a frequent guest on the Lebertard show on ESPN radio. Uh, and Doc Antle, if you've watched the show, you will get some of the references here. Doc Antle is just uh, unleashing his own truths. I mean, I thought that it, it just gave people uh, introduction to the world of big cats to uh, uh, some degree. But the really good part of the show is that we all found out that Carol killed her husband. Um, you know, that's the part that the show did the best, right? Got that frickin' schnickin' frickin' rickin' chick, took her downtown. It gets me every time, Stubats, when he just says that. When he No, when he says it that flatly and, and <laughs> with no warning. You, you never know. You never know when it's going to make an appearance. Um, and so you had known for how long, Doc, that Carol had killed her husband before the world knew it and the documentarians knew it. I mean, it's been 20 years that it is the vibe among zookeepers, among conservationists, educators, people around the world, that Carol was in this strange position where her husband seemingly disappeared. The guy's kids all stepped forward and were attacking her. They all got cut out of the will. This is a guy with, you know, 20 million bucks, seemingly has a great relationship with his kids. 
somehow he disappears, and all of a sudden the kids get cut out of the will, and you know, millions of dollars are at stake. And there's people that I know personally who said, a gun was held to my head. That gun was put to my head, and I was forced to sign the new will as though I was witnessing Don doing it. I know a lady who tells us that exactly. Um, Big Cat uh, Rescue Watch, bcrwatch.com, has a lot of that information and the actual photographs and pages and all that stuff. It's, It's extensive about what the heck happened when she killed her husband. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hold on a second, Eric. How is, how can he just flatly just say several times in a minute 42 that we just played there that Carol Baskins killed her husband? I mean, no no if, ands, or but about it. Like, the best thing <laughs> is that we all found out Carol killed her husband. Wait like, a minute. You know, that's all he's got, just everything else that we know about the crazy thing, but he's sure of it and saying it on national radio. Dude, like, if, she saw, if you watch the documentary, and I, again, during this time, will you have some time to watch some television? If you have Netflix, check out Tiger King, watch it, so that way you can kind of understand the seedy underbelly of the... Um, what I would say is not necessarily care of animals. I think that there is there's this feeling from some of the characters that they're really taking care of animals, but I don't I don't think that was the case. As a matter of fact, in the same interview, I think Levitard asked Doc Antle directly, "Have you ever killed a tiger?" And he was like, "No, I've never done that." Yeah, and he I'm, was emphatic that he says no, he hasn't. So but I mean, uh, he probably sold them when they were too big because they only like them when they're little cute little kittens, and then they sell them off to people like Shaq. <laughs> who wants something to do with this now yes, remember i know <laughs> he did, pulled him he, right back in see he, he wanted nothing to do with that whole thing never never was around the tiger king never was around a doc antle it's just, it's just i just think that's just amazing that whole story and apparently he's a regular guest on the levitard show so if you hear more doc antle you'll get it but boy that that thing is still affecting me a week later after watching it just the stories that were told in that show and then doc antle as eric mentioned squeaky clean outside of the 17 18 year olds that he's holding in abeyance he's got like um, an amazing like credential he was on letterman a bunch of times on leno a bunch of times he did like three music videos with um britney spears she he's done so many music videos and basically if you see a tiger in a movie it was it was doc antle so he's got like this in with celebrities somehow. And it's weird. Like there's pictures with him and Britney Spears and then a giant tiger. And it's like, oh, God. I wonder how he tried to recruit her. <laughs> Just amazing. Well, in two minutes, we will talk about um, New Blood taking place on the west side of Chicago with the Chicago Bulls. There's something new happening. It's exciting. We'll talk about it in two minutes right here on UTH. The really good part of the show is that we all found out that Carol killed her husband. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.